Revelation chapter 11. The book of Revelation chapter 11. We come to the midpoint of the book of Revelation this morning. Your focus, please, upon the first three verses of the book of Revelation chapter 11. Only three verses this morning. And we will not finish it. We will start it. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the sanctuary, the naos of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. This is the altar, the, the altar of incense, making reference to here. But the court, <clears throat> which is without the temple or the sanctuary, leave out <clears throat> and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Now I will give power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy a thousand two hundred Three score days clothed in sackcloth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. <clears throat> your awesome anointing that is here right now. None other than your presence or your spirit. We ask God that you will have your way through your word today. In Jesus' mighty name. Make your word alive to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible in this particular passage talks about the sanctuary of God. I believe that this is a future sanctuary that will be set up in the literal aspect of things. I do believe that Israel will have a sanctuary that they will set up in the Great Tribulation period. The Bible calls it a temple here. Let's go to the book of Daniel, please, in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. There are a few things that we know had to happen before the Lord could come back. Number one, the people of God have to be back in the land of Israel before the Lord could come back. And they are today. Second thing is that they had to be in possession of the city of Jerusalem, which they are. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. The Bible tells us here, Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Notice, thy people upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So the Bible tells us that there has to be the people of God, Israel. There has to be the holy city, which is Jerusalem. Okay? Before the Lord can come back. Let's go to verse 27. Before the Antichrist could come on the scene, you have to have the miracle of Israel in their land, having possessed the nation or the city of Jerusalem. 
The Bible says in verse 27, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's Daniel's 70th week, or it is the tribulation period. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the middle of the week, say the middle of the week, which is where Revelation fits. Revelation 11, I'm sorry, where, where we're studying today. That's where it fits. In the middle of the week. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Before the 70th week of Daniel could start, before Antichrist could rise to power and confirm a covenant, and then in the middle of that seven-year tribulation period, break that covenant with Israel, again, things have to happen. The people have to be in their land. May 1948, Israel became a nation. After over 1,800 years of being scattered out of their land, the year 70 A.D., they were driven out of their land, as you well know. Early 1900s, Israel began to make their way back to their land, just as God said they would in the prophecies. Are you here? 1948, they became a nation, which was a miracle. And then in 1967, in the Six-Day War, they repossessed Jerusalem. They took Jerusalem over in the Six-Day War in 1967. So major events have happened in some of your lifetimes. With Israel going back to the land after being out of their land for over 1,800 years and then becoming a nation in 1948. And then in 1967, getting the old city of Jerusalem back, they recaptured it with the Temple Mount. But then they turned the Temple Mount back over again in the hands of Arabs, I guess you would say. I don't know why they did that, but that's in God, I guess. But I'm trying to tell you that major events that had to happen have already happened before the Lord could come back and before the Antichrist could rise to power and before the tribulation could start, those things had to happen. I do not believe that God is through with the land of Israel, nor do I believe that He is through with the people of Israel, natural Israel, nor am I, do I believe He is through with natural Jerusalem. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you here? He's got a plan for them. And so the fact that they're in their land today, they've got the old city of Jerusalem back, well, what are we waiting for? Well, there's going to be some sanctuary, the Bible says, that is going to be set up in the holy city of Jerusalem. We are living in very exciting times. Let me explain something to you here. I believe in the literal temple or a physical sanctuary that's going to be set up. If you'll go over to Matthew 24, I'll give you something here in the word of the Lord. The Bible tells us, and we read about the abomination that maketh desolate in Daniel 9, 27 there. In the middle of the tribulation period, the abomination of desolation that maketh desolate is when the Antichrist goes into the sanctuary, makes himself to be God. Okay? No doubt sets up an image to himself, as the Bible teaches, and is, commands worship to himself. Uh, in Jerusalem. Okay, let's look at verse 15 of Matthew 24. 
When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. I just read it to you in Daniel 9. Stand in the holy place, the sanctuary. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Revelation chapter 11, you see a sanctuary. You see a temple in the middle of the tribulation period. Followed by Revelation 12, you see Israel fleeing to the wilderness. In the midpoint of the tribulation period. And they do that when they see the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place or the sanctuary, the naos. Whoso readeth, let him understand. And I'm stressing sanctuary, naos to you because when you study the word of God, very important for you to get this. Matthew, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and then the book of Acts make reference to the temple of the Lord. And they're talking about the whole temple. All of its precincts, all of its courts, not just the temple structure, but everything about the temple. When you talk about the temple. In the Gospels and in the book of Acts, it is the literal physical temple. Do you understand what I'm trying to share with you here? The Greek word is heron. H-I-E-R-O-N. Heron. And so that is located in the Gospels in the book of Acts. But after you get out of the book of Acts, it is no longer, the Greek word is no longer heron, with the exception of one passage, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Everything, all the other references that you will read beyond the book of Acts, where it uses the word temple, it's not the temple, uh, the physical temple as we know it with all of its courts. It, is, it should be the sanctuary or the naos. That is very important. Okay, you with me here? The Bible says that the Antichrist, or the abomination of this, is going to stand in the holy place or in the sanctuary. That's where he's going to be located. Now, why is that important to distinguish the difference between the two? Because Revelation chapter 11, let me go back here because I sense that I'm treading new ground with some of you in this. Chapter 11, verse 1, There was given to me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple. Well, in our mind, we're thinking about this uh, massive structure, you know, made out of marble, overlaid with gold. That's what we think is going to be rebuilt that the Antichrist is going to walk into. But the word here is not Heron, the temple as we, you know, uh, the physical temple and all its precincts. It is simply sanctuary. Which means this, that I believe in a literal sanctuary that's going to be set up in the tribulation period into which the Antichrist is going to walk. But it does not have to be the temple. Heron. It doesn't have to be that. It could be just simply a tabernacle or the sanctuary that is set up. Something that is temporary. See, a lot of people are sitting around. They're waiting for people to start, the Jews to start building the temple, you know. And I'm not saying that's not possible. I'm just telling you that the word is sanctuary and not Heron. It's not the physical massive structure, the temple that we know that they talked about in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. It is the sanctuary. 
Now, having said that, I believe in a literal sanctuary that the Antichrist is going to go into in the middle of the tribulation period. In Isaiah chapter 16, the Bible says that when he, now listen, in Daniel 9, it says he's going into that sanctuary and he's going to make it desolate. Well, when that happens, Matthew 24 says the Jewish people who understand the word of God are going to flee out of the holy city. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to the wilderness, flee to the mountain. Isaiah 16 says it is in the land of Moab or Jordan that they will run to. And in verse 5 of Isaiah 16, it says they have the tabernacle of David with them. So they are going to transport, if that's literal, come on, you got to understand where I'm going here. If that's literal, they are going to take a literal tabernacle with them when they flee into the wilderness. All I'm trying to do is to get you in the Bible. You don't, we don't have to see Israel start building a temple out of stone before the Lord comes. But you do have to see the people of Israel back in their land possessing Jerusalem before the Lord can come. And before the events of the tribulation period can start. And you've got both of those in place. But in the middle of the tribulation period or maybe at the start of the seven year tribulation period... They can pitch a sanctuary, a tabernacle, a tent like the Mishkan of Moses or the tabernacle of David. And that temporary structure, there they offer worship. There they offer sacrifices in the tribulation period. And there the Antichrist walks in and it's that sanctuary or that tent that he desecrates. I want you to understand these things. The temple does not have to be built before the tribulation period starts. And if you're sitting around waiting for that to happen, you misinterpret the Word of God. Because again, everything after the book of Acts, with the exception of 1 Corinthians 9, is simply, when it talks about the word temple, is simply the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is the holy place and the most holy place that was found in the tent or the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David, holy of holies. Are you with me here? Say sanctuary. And the sanctuary primarily was for God. That's extremely important. Now having said that, I do believe that it is possible that they would maybe possibly find the old tabernacle of Moses. It is believed that Jeremiah took it before the Babylonian invasion. Took it and hid it along with the Ark of the Covenant. It is possible that they're going to find it. Hang with me though, because in a few weeks you're going to see some very interesting things. When we get in Jeremiah chapter 3, the Bible said there's going to come a time when they don't even think about the, tab the ark. So we have to be careful when we come to these passages. I, let me reiterate, I believe in the literalness of it. But I also want you to understand that the literal, the natural, was simply teaching you of spiritual truth. You are now the Mishkan. You are now the sanctuary of God. You are the Naos of God. You don't want to miss that. That's very important. So we're talking about literal things that teach you about spiritual things to come. 
in the book of Revelation, I do believe it's literal. Please don't misinterpret me. But I also want you to understand that what the literal was given for was to teach you about yourself. In chapter 11, verse 1, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. John is given a reed like a rod to measure with. What is that about? I'm telling you, if you can hang with me here. I'm laying some foundation here. This is going to really speak to your heart. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, back up there please. This reed he, he has received, is going, he's going to use it to measure the sanctuary or the naos. Not Heron, not the physical stone building called the temple. Uh, listen, it's strange to me that he would be even measuring a physical structure anyway. To me, he, he is building... Now, Lord help me. He is measuring more than just a natural thing. He's measuring a spiritual people. Okay? Now, I, in, in Isaiah... Did I say Isaiah 40? It's Ezekiel 40. Ezekiel 40. Thank, thank you, Lord. Ezekiel 40. Mm. Ezekiel 40 in verse 3. We have a similar thing. The Bible says, I'm going to just back up to verse 1 so you know where we are. In the 5 and 20th year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, in the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after that, the city was smitten. In the selfsame day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me thither. This is Ezekiel the prophet. In the visions of God brought he me into the land of Israel and set me upon a very high mountain. Now the house of the Lord, the sanctuary of the Lord is going to be located in the mountain of God. The Bible says, God brought him to the land of Israel, set me upon a very high mountain, by which was as the frame of a city on the south. And he brought me thither, and behold, there was a man. Now Ezekiel sees a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass. Say brass. Speaks of judgment. This man is a brass man. This man is a man who's been judged. Right, this Jesus is the brass man. Jesus is the man who has been judged. But in a sense, so are you the brass man. Because you've identified yourself with his judgment. So he sees this brass man, this man of judgment here, whose appearance was like the appearance of brass, and a line of flax in his hand. Flax can speak of righteousness. And a measuring reed, and he stood in the gate. So he's got a reed in his hand. And the man said unto me, Son of man, this man with the reed and the flax, line of flax in his hand, it looked like brass. He says to the Son of man or to Ezekiel, Behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears, and set thine heart upon all that I will show thee. Look, see, he says, look at it, see it. You understand? See it. Look at your neighbor and say, see it. And hear it. 
and set thine heart upon all that I shall show thee for to thee to the intent that I might show them unto thee art thou brought hither that's why you're here this morning that's why you have been brought here today so that you can see something and you can hear something listen not just about a natural structure I believe in that but there's something deeper to it than than that God wants you to see some things. He wants you to hear some things that are extremely important to you. If you want to be a part of the people who worship in the inner sanctuary. Not just an out of court person. Because God's, he's going, the Bible says he's going to cast them out. Just like you'd cast out demons. People who are in the out of court, he's going to cast them out. So you need to see something this morning and you need to hear something that's very, very important to you today. He said, I brought you here to show you this. Declare all that thou seest to who? The house of Israel. And behold a wall on the outside of the house round about in the man's hand. And he starts, we got this measuring going on, okay? Now what he's doing here, he's not just going to be measuring physical things. He's going to be measuring the people of God. Let me give you some scriptures here to write down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Ye are the temple of the Lord. Ye are the, the temple. Again, we think about the temple. We start talking about, you know, wood and stone and all of that. You are the sanctuary of God. You are that holy place, most holy place people. That belongs to God. Okay? 1 Corinthians 3. I believe it's verse 16. 1 Corinthians 6. Same reference to you being the temple of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Another reference to you being the naos. So look, when he talks about the naos in Revelation 11, according to the New Testament, the New Testament tells you that you are the sanctuary. Or that the people of God is the sanctuary. You are the naos. You are the, let me just use the word they use, the temple of the living God. Do you understand? Did y'all find that passage? Let me go over there with you so you know I'm in the Bible. You know, I'm not making this up. Because while a lot of people today are looking, and, and my, my, my mission, I guess, is to get you to understand this, the spiritual application of physical things. And there are other men who they dwell on the physical side of prophecy, and that's good. I try to do that too. But my call is to get you to understand and see and hear things that pertain to you as the sanctuary. Because if you don't understand that you are the sanctuary, you are the temple, what good is it to know about physical, a physical temple or a physical tent that's going to be built in the middle of the tribulation period? First Corinthians 3.16 says know ye not that ye are the again they, they, they call it the temple but it's, it should be translated sanctuary know ye not you are the sanctuary the naos you are of who God and the spirit of God dwelleth in you amen God's good now I'm not going to 1 Corinthians 6 I'm not going to read that one let's go to uh, just that's enough. Saint Corinthians, First Corinthians six, Saint Corinthians six, 
Read those, okay? It's convenient for you, but just to prove it to you. Going back to this brass man then with a linen, a line of flax in his hand and a brass reed that was given to him, about nine feet long or so, he is told by God to measure the temple. He's not just though focusing on measuring a physical house. His focus is measuring the people of God. You are the house of the Lord. A brass man. Now the scripture says, so when we go to Revelation 11 then, let me, let me give you one more scripture, Zechariah. See, I want to take off here, but I can't. I really want to take off. Zechariah 2, verse 1. I lifted up my eye again, eyes, look, he's seeing something. And he lifted up his eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Zechariah 2, verse 1. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem. Hello, Jerusalem. Hebrews 12 lets you know that you are come. You are the holy city, Jerusalem. Okay, are you with me? So there's a natural Jerusalem, but you have to understand the spiritual Jerusalem, which you are. So the Bible says then, the question is asked, then said I, whither goest thou? And he said unto me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet me. So again, we have another reference to this man measuring here the Jerusalem of God, or the city of God. Ezekiel 40, he's measuring the temple of the Lord. Well, in New Testament days, you are both. You are, you are the new Jerusalem, and you are the sanctuary of God in New Testament days. That doesn't mean that in the future, though, because we know Israel, the natural seed, is in the natural land with the natural Jerusalem today. So we can't just throw them out and say that God's not involved with the natural things. We know that He is. But watch this. In chapter 11, then, we have John receiving a rod. It is the, he now is seen not just so much as a prophet as he is seen as a priest. Now, when we talk about the two witnesses in a few weeks down the road, I'm going to share with you, I believe that one of them is John of the book of Revelation and that one of them is Daniel out of the book of Daniel. Okay? It could be Elijah and Moses. But just, just focus for a moment on John who received the book of Revelation and Daniel. Okay, you with me here? They are, John receives the revelation concerning this Naos. Daniel received the revelation concerning this Naos, the sanctuary. And to John, and remember in chapter 10, the angel said to him, verse 11, he said unto me, 10, 11, thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, and tongues, and kings. Now, it could mean, okay, he's been prophesying while he was alive, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's going to prophesy again, reiterate, and cover the territory over again, you see. But it also could mean that God's going to raise him up and prophesy in the tribulation period. But we'll talk about that as we go along here. 
But to John, who will prophesy again to nations, tongues, and kings, was given a reed like a rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the sanctuary of God and the altar and them that worship therein. This is the work of the priest. Okay, do you understand? His focus is on the sanctuary. The priest is. It's where his focus is. When you talk about measuring in the Word of God, the prophets and throughout the Word of God, when you talk about a measuring taking place with a measuring rod, you are talking about where God comes and separates the profane from the holy. So what is happening here is that John, who is a prophet, is seen depicted as a, in a priesthood aspect type ministry where he is going to be involved in separation. Drawing, come on, drawing the line between the profane and the holy. And we're not just talking about a physical structure. We're talking about people. There's going to be, when you talk about the measuring, read, you're talking about separation. When you talk about separation then, you have to have some very important things to happen. Number one, you have to see something. And you have to hear something. If you're going to measure something, that means you have to judge it. And we've got, mm, we've got a message today that says that there should be no judgment given. Oh, that you're not supposed to judge, you know. But according to the word of God, there is a measuring read given to this prophet priest. And his purpose is to see so that he can judge, judge between the profane and the holy. He is supposed to define for the people of God what is right and what is proper. He is supposed to judge where they are located. Whether they are profane or not profane. Holy or not holy. Get rid of this stuff that tells you that when you come to church that you are not supposed to be judged. There is a reed that is placed in the hand of somebody that is going to measure whether or not you are profane unto God or whether or not you are holy. And that's just the way it is. So the purpose of this man with the measuring reed is that he might separate. And the way you separate is by what you have to do is you have to set up boundaries. And there are boundaries in this text between the outer court and the sanctuary. There are boundaries that have to be set up. This is holy. This is profane. Don't cross over into the profane. You cross that line right there, you're over into profane things. Don't cross that line. There's a boundary and somebody's got to set the boundary. And in these days, it's John, the prophet priest. For this church, it's the set man in the house. He is responsible to carry a reed with him when he comes to the house of the Lord. And by the way, you know, the reed is nothing more than just a, a picture of this holy book right here. And so I'm not setting my own standard or my own boundaries here. My responsibility is to take the measuring reed of God, which is his word, and define for you and for me. Come on. You and me. 
This book defines for you and me what boundaries are set up, what I must see, what I must hear to participate in the inner sanctum of God. To be involved in inner things. And not only when we talk about a reed, not only is it a measurement of separation, there has to be holiness of life. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of false prophets that I don't even call them prophets. They're just false standing behind pulpits who do not require a reed. They don't set a boundary. They don't set a standard for their house. They just want a big, big thing going on. That's all they're after. They don't tell people what's profane. They don't tell people what's holy. They're just in psychology, man. That's where their focus is. But according to the Word of God, the sanctuary, 1 Corinthians 3.16, which you are, is to be measured. It is to be judged. It is to be separate. It is to be holy. Separate from the profane things. So it has to be judged. It has to be seen by what? By the Word of God. I want the Word to judge me. Amen. Not only does it speak of separation, but it speaks of protection. Because if you are the naos of the sanctuary of God, then you're going to be protected from the wrath of God to come. It is interesting that as you look in the book of Revelation, we've seen it. That between the sixth and seventh seal, in Revelation 7, you have the seal people of God. In between the sixth and seventh trumpet, the Lord sticks this right in the middle of the two and shows you again the people of God, the sanctuary. There's a pattern in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 7, we see a sealed people who are holy, undefiled. They follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. They are virgins. They stand up against the paganism and the false religion of their day. They are not defiled with women. They have not prostituted themselves to church systems. They're not defiled by women. And that is right in the middle between the, the sixth and the seventh seal. And you get over here and right in, right in between the sixth and seventh trumpet, you have this temple people of God again, the house of the Lord seen again. And God is showing you, okay, here's the read. Judgment. Separation. But they are protected. What are you going to be protected from? The wrath to come. God's wrath. Not persecution. Not the tribulation. But the wrath of God. Do you understand? Now this is awesome. Because when you look at this. Let me read to you so you'll know where I am. Are you, are you, do you have enough foundation in you to receive what I'm preaching? Or do you need to give you ABCs again? I don't say that boastingly. I'm asking you a question today. Can you receive this word? Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you understand it? That's why he said to the churches, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Can you hear it? Can you receive this today? He said, rise and measure the temple of who? God, the sanctuary of God. I already read to you in 1 Corinthians 3 that you are that sanctuary. And then he says, the altar and them that worship therein. Those that are involved with the worship of the Lord. 
And then he goes on and he says, but the court which is without the temple, leave it out. Or literally, if you've got a good Bible, in the margin it says, cast it out. In the, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus going forth, casting out devils. Jesus, the Bible says, he was cast out from their presence. So the word, when it, when it says right here, it says, But the court which is without of the temple, leave out. It should be, the Greek should be cast out. Just cast it out, just like you would do demon, demon things. The outer court. So he's talking about an inner sanctuary. And the inner sanctuary is simply the holy place and the most holy place people. The outer court, he says, you cast those out. You evaluate first what belongs to God. You measure the sanctuary. but You evaluate it. Why? Because it belongs to me. So there's an evaluation going on and there's a separation going on and there's a judging going on and there is a protection going on concerning the sanctuary. Holy place, most holy place. Outer court though is what? He says cast out. Like, like demon. He said it's given to the heathen. He said it's given to the Gentiles to tread underfoot 42 months. And he said, cast that out. Well, in the natural, literal, which I do believe, in the future, are you here today? That it will be trampled underfoot of the heathen, the Gentiles, for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, right? But let me just stay where I, where I want to stay today. When you talk about the sanctuary and you talk about the outer court, you're talking about this man measuring what belongs to God and then casting out what does not belong to him. Let me just talk to you just a little bit. Hallelujah. I can, I, I, I can sense that I'm on new ground in a sense with some of you. Okay, right here. This is the tabernacle of God. The sanctuary is right here. This is the outer court right here. And that's the tent. Okay? You've got an outer court. Then you've got the sanctuary, the naos, which is the holy place and the most holy place. Say sanctuary. This is, this is what belongs to God. Okay. The people that are being measured are located in this sanctuary. In this holy place and most holy place. And then you have an outer court. That is going to be cast out. But in the temple. I don't think you can see it very well. But way over here in the temple. You have an outer court in the temple. In the outer court, the heathen were invited to come. You had an in the temple in the out, you had an outer court and then an inner court. In the inner court, there was the altar of sacrifice in the temple, and then the temple proper, the sanctuary, holy place, and most holy place. So the Bible is showing us something here very important: that the heathen could come into the outer court of the temple. They were invited. The Gentiles could come. Okay. But when they came to the temple here, <clears throat> there was a sign that said this far and no further. Because why? You're a heathen. You're a Gentile. You can't come any further. So there was a court of the Gentiles and a court of the women, etc. And a, you know what I'm saying. What I'm trying to show you here is that outer court area 
was a place where heathens were invited to come to deal with sin. To deal with sin. Gentiles could come into that place. Unbelievers could come in that place. But they could never step foot in the sanctuary. They could never go in the holy place or the most holy place until they dealt with their sin. If they had not dealt with their sin, if they, because only a priest could go in the holy place. And only the high priest could go in the most holy place. And if you walked up there as a priest and you hadn't dealt with your sin, you would have been struck dead right there at the door. So in the outer court, the thing that's going to be cast out is the area where the heathen are located. Unbelievers are located. People who have not dealt with their sin. The good news in this, though, is that when you go up there, and I'm just going to talk to us. I'm not talking to somebody in the past or somebody in the future. Talk to us. When you walk up there in the Spirit, you know, and you haven't dealt with your sin, you have an invitation to go from that outer court to that, to that inner court, if you will, where the altar of sacrifice is located. And there you can deal with your sin at the altar. And from there then you go and you are washed at the laver. And as a priest you wear holy garments. And then you can go into the sanctuary. And only priests go into the sanctuary. Are you with me here? So when it says that the outer court is to be cast out. The outer court is, are people who have not dealt with sin. They are cast out. They haven't accepted, if you will, the invitation of God to go to the cross, the altar. They haven't been washed in baptism in the name of Jesus. They don't have holy garments upon them that is required for them to go into that inner sanctuary. Because they have not dealt with sin. And because of that, they will be cast out. Now look, we have imputed righteousness. We went to the cross. We experienced the blood of Jesus Christ in our life. We have been to the laver of baptism in water in the name of Jesus. And had our sins washed away. Right? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. which qualifies you to be a sanctuary for his spirit a priest Lord help me today I will say this a lot of times we profess things that we do not possess we really, we really do as a people. We really do. We walk around and say with our mouth things, but they're not a reality to us. You, you cannot be, you can't be a part of the sanctuary, the inner things of God, without dealing with sin at the cross and dealing with sin at the laver, washing and having holy garments on you. Okay, you understand? 
that's going to be cast out as profane or set, be set apart from God as unholy okay watch this yeah he said but the court which is without the naos the sanctuary leave it out and measure it not why don't you measure it because it doesn't belong to God why don't you evaluate that because it doesn't belong to God leave it out or cast it out or excommunicate it evaluate it judge it separate it and then excommunicate it and he's not talking about a physical plot of land he is talking about people who are going to be excommunicated from the church and it is the responsibility of this prophet priest to excommunicate from the sanctuary those that are in the outer court to cast them out why because they're not moving from the outer court where all the heathens are unbelievers I mean witches can be there drug addicts can be there whoremongers can be there adulterers can be there and, and show up to church but just because you walk through the church door doesn't mean that you have dealt with sin you have to take care of sin I've got to take care of sin simply this means right to us it means this if you are walking in an inner sanctuary type walk with God you're dealing with sin every day of your life you deal listen to me we don't just deal with it one time in the past you have to deal with sin every day of your life it must be dealt with every day of your life the sanctuary says this the sanctuary belongs to God it's a holy place the sanctuary says it's also a most holy place and if you're walking in the sanctuary of God then you are a people who have dealt with sin who have allowed somebody to set boundaries for you in your life out of the holy word of God to set come on and to let that word separate you and you not only hear it and you see it but you walk in it and you deal with sin and you don't let profane things get in your life but you walk as holy unto God you walk as separated unto God you walk as the people who belong to God if not God will cast me out he, I'm not just preaching down he'll cast this preacher out Paul talked about it he said lest I had preached to others I myself would become a castaway the great apostle Paul said he could become a castaway and for us to come in this place and I'm not getting on to you I'm just preaching the word to you for us to come in this place and act like I'm okay you're okay kind of thing you've got to understand what God's trying to show you you can become a castaway even an apostle can become a castaway why? because sin is not dealt with in that life And if you belong to God, He's going to evaluate you. He's going to judge you. 
which is a good thing because when he does I know I belong to him if he ever stops correcting me if he ever stops judging me if he ever stops evaluating me I no longer belong to him and that's the scariest place that you can ever get to and there's a lot of people they want to get to that place where God doesn't deal with anymore doesn't correct them they want to let the profane things come in their life. They don't want to deal with the profane. They don't want to deal with sin. They want to just make excuses for it. They want to walk in a self-righteousness that is not of God. They want to simply be religious. They want a social gospel. They want to be accepted by everybody. They don't want to stand for anything. And because of that, they're going to fall for everything. But you're looking at a man. I don't care. You can get mad and leave, whatever. I don't care. But God has commissioned me to set boundaries. And only the sanctified can enter into the sanctuary. You know what the sanctuary says? No profane allowed in here. No sin allowed in here. It is not acceptable. I will not play with it. And I'm not preaching to you today as somebody who has arrived. But I am preaching to you the word of God today. And I am telling you that if you're not in the inner sanctuary where you can be evaluated and judged and separated and then protected. Having dealt with your sin, there will come a, a day when you will be greatly surprised when the Lamb of God who sits upon the throne looks you in the eyes and says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. You're full of rebellion. You didn't deal with your sin. And because of that, I cast you out as profane, out of the holy mountain of God. I cast you out as demons were cast out by the Lamb of God when he walked this earth. You will be excommunicated from the Lamb of God but if you will deal with your sin then you can enter into the sanctuary you can enter into the holy place and the holy place where you get the power because you've been to the cross and you've had your sins washed away you walk in the holy place and get filled with the spirit of the living God you have his presence in you and on you everywhere you go. He manifests his power in your life. There is an evidence. There is a fruit. We can identify you that you walk with the lamb whithersoever he goes. We can recognize holiness. We can also recognize profanity. And you as a sanctuary have to always say, no, 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 no. I belong to God. I'm not let sitting in this. I'm not letting you, no way devil, you're not getting in here. Because the Antichrist wants to set up an abomination of desolation inside of your sanctuary. He wants, why does he want to do that? So you'll become defiled because he knows. Listen, the only way to get you separated from God is if you let him defile you. If you allow sin to come in your life. He knows the only thing that God can do to a person like that is to cast them out. So he wants to take over your life. He wants to possess you he wants to enter into your inner sanctuary as an individual 
and sit on the throne of your heart. Come on. See, it's not just talking about some physical time when the Antichrist moves into the sanctuary. I believe in that. But I'm talking to you right now. He wants to enter into the sanctuary right now. He wants to set up his idol right now in your life. He wants you to become profane. He wants you to be cast out. But the good news is that if you deal with sin in your life, every day I have to. Every day you have to. Then you will be evaluated. You will be protected. You will be separated more and more into God. And He will call you His. That's the good news about this. Y'all here. So you enter into the sanctuary of God, the holy place. Now you're, you've been to the cross. You've had your sins washed away in the name of Jesus at the laver of baptism. You're filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. You are the sanctuary of God. And then you come up there and you face a big old veil in front of you. And the Bible says that this man was to measure the sanctuary and the altar and them that worship therein. This is very interesting. In the holy place, you had the table of showbread, the golden candlestick, the menorah. And then you had the altar of incense right in front of the veil. The altar of incense speaks of prayer and worship unto God. The holy place had one piece of furniture in it. It was the Ark of the Covenant. It was the throne of God Himself. And the high priest once a year went behind the veil in the most holy place. And there, watch this, he interceded for the people that God would forgive their sins and that God would forgive His sin. Which means this one day a year, the Day of Atonement. They took the altar of incense and they put it with the ark. And that happened only once a year. That's why, and I've been through this with you before. When you go through the book of Hebrews, you're going to see the altar of incense standing in the most holy place. And I told, you, I told you before, I said, that blows my mind. Because when I read the Bible, I see it standing in the holy place. And then sometimes the book of Hebrews, I see it standing in the most holy place. I told you that before. And I just discovered yesterday by study that once a year, the altar of incense was actually moved into the most holy place. And so what you have right here is you have <coughs> a measurement of, uh, of people who have dealt with their sin. Okay. They started out as being heathens. Hello. Yes, sir, heathens, prostitutes, adulterers, whoremongers, drug addicts, good people, religious people. They all started in the outer court. Moral people, church-going people, Bible-toting people, praying people. Yeah. Church supporting people in the outer court. But they have not dealt with their sin. And so God says, with that big old altar, come on a little further. Deal with your sin at this, at this what? Brass altar. Where the brass man is located. 
where your sin can be judged and dealt with so that from that place you can then go and be washed and have holy garments placed on your body and go into the sanctuary <coughs> excuse me of God and that is not in the holy place but then beyond the veil is the most holy place and so what we have here is the holy place a sanctified people priest in the sanctuary the holy place and because they are sanctified having dealt with sin they're there but beyond the veil then you have the most holy place and that place according to Revelation 2 and 3 is promised to the overcomer to the overcomer and only the high priest went in there and that once a year on the day of atonement and there he prayed with that incense going up before the throne of God he prayed for the sins of the people and he prayed for his own sin God forgive the sins of those people accept the sacrifice you understand this is very important to God you are holy to God you are very special to God you are a people who he evaluates and he he separates and he judges and he corrects and the reason why he does that is because you belong to him how many, how many of us going to deal with sin <sighs> yes but the court which is without the temple cast it out cast it out all those people who would not deal with sin cast it out now watch this this is very interesting don't measure it for it is given unto the heathen that's exactly right thanks sister it, it was always given to the heathen it was always given to people who did not deal with sin So God says, cast it out, excommunicate it. We don't like that word. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to do it. I don't ever be involved with it. And measure it not, for it is given unto the heathen, or the Gentiles, and the holy city. Now we're going to talk about the city. Hello, city of God. In the natural, in the literal, in the future, in the middle of the tribulation period, the armies of the Antichrist are just going to flood into Jerusalem and take it over. And the believing Jews are going to have to flee for their life. In the natural, literal fulfillment of this passage, with the natural, literal sanctuary being set up, with the abomination of desolation going in and setting up in that natural thing. But again, I'm dealing with spiritual things. So then he talks about the holy city. Hello, holy city. <clears throat> shall they tread underfoot 40 in two months in the literal natural that will take place in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period but for us mm -mm -mm. if God cast us out if we do not deal with sin if we do not sanctify ourselves and overcome and let him evaluate us then what happens is whether you or I like it or not the enemy overcomes us he overtakes your life. Yes, he, he begins to dominate you and control you. You get to a place. Listen. Listen for a minute. You get to a place you couldn't overcome sin if you tried. 
The enemy has overcome you. He's got the victory over you. He set up his temple. He set up his throne. He's sitting on the throne of the sanctuary of God. He's there today in a lot of churches. I pray that he's not in me. I pray that he's not in you. But if you don't yield to God, then what will happen is you will yield to Antichrist. Come on, this is real stuff. I'm sorry today, I don't have, no, I'm not sorry. But I don't have a psychological message for you. To make you hang from the rafters. See, my whole purpose, and and I hope your purpose is to make it. Not to be religious, not to be out of court, but to be inner court, and then most holy place, people. I don't want the Antichrist sitting up shopping me. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and two months. 42 months. Middle of the tribulation period in the future. 42 months, this is the picture that's going to be going on there. Revelation 12, Israel will flee into the wilderness for 1260 days or three and a half years. But it's interesting to me that God uses the term here 42 months. Here he doesn't use three and a half years. Here he doesn't use the term 1260 days, which are the same thing. He uses 42 months. Have you ever wondered why God does that sometimes? He'll, talk, he'll define that last three and a half years as time, times, and a half a time. Three and a half years. He'll define it as 1260 days. And then he'll talk about in Daniel chapter 12. He talks about people, blessed are they who get to the 1335th day. You know who the people are that got to the 1335th day? Overcomers, those who've dealt with sin. Okay. That's why he said they're blessed. Because they've made it into the kingdom, the throne. Just 42 months before the establishment of the kingdom of God in the literal future. This is going to be happening. 42 months before the establishment. Listen to the word. Before the establishment of the kingdom. This is powerful. Let me explain to you why that's so powerful. And i got about 20 minutes, I think, maybe... This is just beautiful stuff. Nothing like His Word. I, and I pray, I pray I'm not coming across uh, to you today as, as being your judge and jury and prosecuting attorney. It's not my purpose. My purpose is to preach the Word of God. But I got, mm, okay, I'll leave it there, God. Matthew 1, watch this. Here's what's so awesome about this. Now, I know you want me to preach about the Antichrist. You want me to preach about the future... Three and a half year literal tribulation and the mark of the beast and all of that. So you can walk out and feel good. Feel like you, you, you're there. You got it all together. You're there, yeah. But there's something deeper to it than just the natural. There's the spiritual. And, and, and when, I have, when I come back, the Lord willing, Jeremiah chapter 3. I'm going to show you things in Jeremiah chapter 3. It's going to blow your mind. Because even the Old Testament prophets were talking about the natural is not even coming come to mind. People are going to forget the natural in the future and start focusing on spiritual things. 
Matthew chapter 1. Look at this. Let's look at this 42-ness. 42-ness. If you'll look with me there at verse 17. To give you the background here, God starts with Abraham. He goes all the way to Christ. He gives you the genealogy of the Christ of God. But what I want you to see here is God does something very awesome. He sets it up with a 42. He sets it up with a 42. Now what he's going to show you here is in this Matthew 1 passage, you have 42 months in Revelation 11. You have 42 generations here to the Christ in Matthew 1. What he's trying to show you, he's not trying to show you genealogy per se. He's not even so much trying to show you chronology. He's trying to show you Christology. He's trying to teach you Christ. We read the genealogies and we're thinking about chronology and we're thinking about genealogy and the Lord has given it to you so you'll think about Christology, Christ. So He gives it to us like this. So... All the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. The numeric value of the name of David is 14. That is the number of David, the number 14. And so he says from Abraham to David, there's 14 generations. And from David until the cap carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations and from the carrying away into Babylon unto who? Christ. It's Christology. It's Christ focused. That's why he's given this to you is how many generations? 14 generations. 42 total generations from Abraham to the Christ. David's number, his the equivalent of his name is 14. And so God is trying to show you that the Christ of God is the new David. And so what he's showing you in this 42-ness is promise given, promise fulfilled. And the period in between it, promise given, promise fulfilled. What is the fulfillment of the promise? His coming. So God gives you this 42 month period here. Our 42 ness to show you that from that time there's going to be 42 months until His coming. He don't want you to just be caught up in genealogies and chronologies and the letter of the book. He wants you to be caught up in the spirit of the letter. He wants you to get in the spirit of the book. The letter killeth, but the spirit maketh alive. Now watch this. Go back to Revelation 11. 42-ness. He said they're going to tread under tread it underfoot for 42 months. And then he goes on, he says, I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy I know you came to be taught but I came to preach now how long are they going to prophesy 
1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So he gives you a 42-ness, and then he deals with a 1,260-day uh, 1, time frame again. And he talks about his two witnesses that are going to be prophesying during that same time. And they're wearing sackcloth. If you think back in time, you'll remember a man by the name of Elijah who was clothed in sackcloth. You'll think of a man by the name of John the Baptist who came wearing sackcloth. He had the mantle of Elijah upon him. These witnesses will have the mantle of Elijah and they will preach like Elijah did. And notice when Elijah preached, there was a three and a half year famine or 1,260 days. And the purpose of Elijah the prophet was to preach against paganism and idolatry in who? A physical Jerusalem a physical temple no a people he can't went to the people he preached against their idolatry he preached against their backsliding and for three and a half years it did not rain and that's exactly what's going to happen when these two witnesses begin to prophesy because they're going to be preaching against paganism they're going to be preaching against idolatry they're going to be preaching come on somebody they've got the sackcloth they've got the the mantle of an old testament prophet when they come Now, from time to time, when I'm coming to close, I'm out of time here, but you will hear certain men, I agree with the first statement, but I don't agree with it altogether. They will say that we're no longer in New Old Testament prophet times, that we are only in New Testament prophet times. The New Testament prophets don't preach like Old Testament prophets because we're not. Are you funny? Have you not read the book of Revelation? Have you not read where John, 1 John, where he talks about the need to have the witness of God in yourself? Have you not read that you have to have the blood? Have you not read that you have to have the water? Have you not read that you have to have the spirit? And if you have the blood, the water, and the spirit, then you have the witness of God in yourself that you belong to God. Have you not heard John preach it before? Do you not see him preaching it again in the book of Revelation that you have to have the witness inside of you? And it's that same John who wrote the book of Revelation, who wrote 1 John, who showed you particulars. And he says, if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. And if the seed of God remains in you, you cannot sin. If God's seed is in you, if you got the witness that he's in you, then you cannot sin. That's what John said. Which simply means this, you don't live in a lifestyle of sin. If you do, you are an outer court person who will be cast out from God. And so I'm asking you today, do you have the witness of God in yourself? These prophets will. They're going to deal with the blood of the altar, the brass man. They're going to preach the finished work. They're, come on, somebody. They're going to understand baptism. In fact, when we get to the 15th chapter, we're going to see overcomers standing on the, the, uh, the, the sea. 
of glass. And those people are people who overcame the beast. These prophets are going to be dealing with this. The blood, the water, the spirit. And the Bible said they're so, they got so much of the spirit of God in them that fire comes out of their mouth and consumes the beast. So thank God for his word. See, I, I don't want to get colder. I want to have, I want fire coming out of my mouth. I want God. I want, to, I'm going to intercede for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God forgives my sin and that God forgives your sin. But if the seed of God remains in you and you've got the witness of God in you, the blood, the water, and the spirit, you cannot sin. You cannot live a habitual lifestyle of sin if you really belong to Him. Because then you are a heathen and not a sanctified one. You're an outer court person then. And your focus is totally yourself. And totally world focused. And earth realm focused. And that's where you live. And the beast dominates your mind. And you are controlled by the harlots. Having the mark of the beast on your forehead right now. And if Jesus... If the tribulation started today, there would be some in your midst who would take the mark of the beast. They would take the mark of the beast. See, this is not just being religious and going to church. This is call from God. I don't want to be an out-of-court person. I want to be an inner sanctuary person. Let me close. This is last, you won't hear from me on Sunday morning. Aren't you glad? You won't hear from me for a while. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm this. I'm joking with you. I know where you are. I don't lose my personality. I preach fire coming out of my mouth. But I, I love you. I don't preach it vindictively or maliciously. I preach it for my good and your good. No, he says... He said, he said, I'm going to give power unto them. Give power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy. A thousand, two hundred, threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These two are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Okay. One last scripture. Isaiah 2. Keep everything running. Come on. Isaiah 2. One last scripture. Because I'm, I believe I'm preaching to people who want to walk with God. Isaiah 2. <coughs> the Bible talks about this glorious house that's going to be set up in the mountain that ultimately is the people of God. But it says in Isaiah 2, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. You have to be able to see something. Concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And again, in the Old Testament, it's natural Judah and Jerusalem. But in New Testament days, it's you. You are the praisers. Let me just throw this in. It's not going to cost you anything more. There's two Judaisms. There's a false Judaism and a true Judaism. 
true Judaism, is true Jewishness that seeks to find salvation in the Messiah. Come on. Based on the word of the living God, a false Judaism is, is a rabbinic Judaism. It shall come to pass, verse 2. Say, look at say it's going to come to pass in the last days that the mountain. Lord, this gets me bad. The mountain of the Lord's house. Hebrews 3 says, You are the house of the Lord. Hebrews 3, you are the house of the Lord. And it shall come to pass the last day that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it here's what I want you to see the word established the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established you know what the word established means? these people are upright these people are erected straight up. They are upright. They are righteous. They are established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted by the hills and all nations shall... And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. Teach us his ways. Don't say his acts there. The Bible says Israel knew the acts of God, but no, Moses knew the ways of God. When God starts moving and you get healed and signs and miracles and wonders take place and devils are cast out, that's an act of God. And everybody's, yeah, yeah that, God was there. Wow. Yeah, he moved. Yeah, people got that's an act of God. But do you know his ways? He's looking for a people that'll be that'll walk not just in his acts, but in his ways. Not people that just to get excited over a miracle. That they get excited about understanding his ways. They they say, "Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that place that is established, that upright place." That sanctified place. To the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. These people are not saying, I just want to hear what he's got to say. These people say, I want to walk in what he's got to say. And those are the people who are going to be established in the mountains, mountain of the Lord's house. People who walk it out. The Bible says, To the house of the God of Jacob, He will teach us His ways, we will walk in His paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and He shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall bear their, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come you and let us walk in the lights of.
the Lord. Lord Jesus, I come before you right now. And I thank you, God, in the future for everything that will happen in the great tribulation to come. That now and at that time also that we will be found worthy. That you would measure us, that you would evaluate us as belonging to you, that you would protect us, that you would separate us. A people who have dealt with sin, who have overcome, having seen the brass man with the reed in his hand and the linen flax, line of flax. In Jesus' name, amen. You know how you're going to overcome? When you hear his ways, you're going to walk in his ways. But the reason why you're going to overcome is because his seed remains in you. The only way that I can overcome or you can overcome is because I've got the brass man in me. I've got, Jesus said to, to his disciples, he said, overcome even as I have overcome. The reason why I can overcome and you can overcome is because the overcomer is in you. So we need to get rid of all excuses. And we need to lift a banner high that says no sin welcome here. No, I'm talking about us as a church. No profane welcome here. I've got the overcomer in me. You have the overcomer in you. Jesus. Lord Jesus, bless your people today, I pray. Thank you for the word of God that has been preached. I pray, Lord Jesus, that it would penetrate the hardness of the hearts of men, including my own. I glorify you. I lift you up. I praise you. If you've got a heart for God today, You've got a heart for God. The Bible says in the last days, they that do know their God shall be strong. Not weak, strong. And they shall do exploits. If you've got a heart for God this morning and there's sin in your life, is calling you. He's even charging you to deal with it. Stay hungry for God. Don't get satisfied with who you are in God. Got a heart for God right now. I want you to lift your hands. I, you don't have to get loud. I do want you to be fervent. I do want you to be real today. And I want you to come right now as if you were moving from the outer court. I want you to come to the altar right now. I haven't done this in the whole time we've preached the book of Revelation that I remember. I want you to come right now as people who are saying, Lord, I want to be a part of the inner sanctuary. I want to be a priest of the Most High God. I deal with the sin in my life right now. Vain imaginations. 
spirits, hallelujah, I cast them out in the name of the Lord as profane out of the holy mountain of God. There's no demon spirit welcome here. There's no demon power that's welcome here. No foul is welcome here. No sin is welcome here. Lord, we put it under the blood right now. Jesus, we pray. Jesus, I hunger and thirst after you today. God. Lord, your zeal has eaten us up. Your zeal, the zeal of the Lord's house, has eaten us up. In the name of Jesus, let your people have a breakthrough. <laughs> God, give me a breakthrough, Lord. Give me a breakthrough. Hallelujah. Give this church a breakthrough. Let revival come, Lord God, I pray, in this house. Lord, I deal with this. Deal with the sin in my life. He is holy. He is undefiled. He is separate from sinners. Lord, we've been to the cross. We've been to the blood for cleansing. And washed. Washed in baptism and washed by the word of God. Washed by the word. Cleansed by the word today. Anointed with the spirit. In Jesus name. Amen. Just, I would like to be able to tell the whole church. But I'm gonna, I feel led of God to tell you all this. The other day I was called. Right before church on a Wednesday. And there was a, a young girl that found her in the floor she was in convulsions and uh, so they quickly ran her to the hospital and I told the person that called me I said I can't make it because I have uh, service tonight but you go and you pray for them and uh, pray for her and next day I got Thursday I got a call again and uh, this young girl was still in the hospital and she was going into these convulsions and and things once again and uh, so the parent asked if if I would come to pray for this young child and I told the person on the phone I said you contact this mother and you tell her that I'll be there mid-afternoon and uh, so about about three o'clock I was doing some things I hurry and I got ready very quickly and I rushed to the hospital. I'd be there mid-afternoon. And I walked into the hospital room. This little girl, 14-year-old little girl. And I walked in. She pulled herself up, put her arms to her chest, started crying. I said, no. No. Trembling was shaking. 
the Lord on the way up there, the Lord spoke to me in the elevator. He said, you put everybody out of the room except her mother and father if the father's there. Everybody out of the room except those and the little girl. So I asked some people that were in the room if they would mind. The Lord, the Lord told me, he said, do it in love. So I did it in love. And I asked them if they would mind stepping out for just a moment because I anointed her with oil. And they did, and the mother stayed in there with the girl. We anointed her with oil, prayed prayer of deliverance and healing, and she was completely set free, completely changed, completely changed. And looked at her, and a smile came on her face, completely delivered by the power of the Lord God Almighty. And just as I was finishing my prayer, just as I was finishing it, three psychologists walked in. I know one of them was a psychologist. I think maybe two of them, two other ones were assistants. They walked in right as I was finishing prayer. And uh, they went in there to give a psycho, you know, evaluation of this young girl. I said, she's okay now. We just prayed for her. She's all right. And uh, the older psychologist, I, I believe she was a psychologist, she said, well... She, they started asking this little girl questions. And um, after a little bit, they said, looked at me. The mom was in there and looked at me and said, can we speak with her privately? I said, no. I said, I just got through praying for her. I need to minister to her. I need to speak with her privately. If you could be dismissed, please. And those three psychologists walked out the door. And then I ministered <coughs> to that little girl. And I told the mother, I said, you don't be ashamed of what God has done. You stand up. And you proclaim what the Lord has done here. But see, the Lord gave me instruction before I ever walked up there. He said, you dismiss everybody out of there. You don't let them say because he was going to do a work there, you know. But the timing, God even set the timing up. So that when I, when I finished praying, the psychologist walked in. And they saw what God did. God's an awesome God. He's an awesome God. He's a, and he's a deliverer. And he will set the captive free. All kinds of things. Demonic powers. Sicknesses. Mental sicknesses. All kinds. God will set the captive free. He's a living God. And if, if we'll walk with him. He will do it. He will do it. And I came up here afterwards and I just praised God. I said, God. I said, the enemy is not going to mock you. He's not going to mock your name. He's not going to mock your word. He's not going to mock the ministers of God. He is not able to do it. This is not going to be a temporary thing, God. You bind it right now. And the enemy cannot, cannot have his way with her again. And there's some other things that, that were said, and I'm not going to get into that. But, uh, amen. But I'm just telling you, God... He's awesome. He's alive. And this is real. And you know it's real. And uh, I love y'all. God is good. He's very good. Amen. You know, God is so real. He showed two people in this church. Two people. One sister, he woke her up at 12 o'clock at night and told her, you pray for your pastor. She prayed for three hours, spoke in tongues for three hours, and she had a vision. She had a vision of a great, large dragon. Red dragon 
that was going to try to come against the ministry and destroy it. This was the day after my wife came in and talked came in and talked to me. This sister saw this vision, and then another sister in the church saw the same dragon coming up against the ministry. See, this is real, but you know what? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. <clears throat> so we don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear no devil. You don't have to fear any man. You don't, you don't, don't fear anything. You walk with God. You walk with God. You walk in, in those places. You walk in assurance. You don't walk in there giddy and nervous. You walk in there. And know that God is with you when you walk in there. God is with me. And God's fixing to do something here right now. And you don't be ashamed. You take authority. And you don't back down. When, when God tells you something. And He'll give you instruction. And then He'll do the act. But He'll show you His ways. And He'll tell you something before you ever get there. That you're going to need. Be sensitive to God. God is real. So I'm just thankful today. That if we'll listen to the Lord. He will do great and awesome things. He is. He's that kind of God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. If you ever resist the warning from somebody who's got a word from God for you. I'm talking about true proven people that have been put in your life with words from God. If you ever resist that, I'd hate to be in your shoes. But God will give you another opportunity. He'll give you another opportunity. Because that's the kind of God He is. He's just that kind of God. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about something that's very real. I'm talking about God. I'm talking about His word. Some of the things of God. This is real stuff. This ain't the Catholic Church. This is an apostolic church. <coughs> this is an apostolic, Pentecostal holiness church that preaches the word and it's real. It's not religion, it's real. It's real. And I know you want to walk in, and I want to walk in a place where when you just walk by, man, devils scream out. <coughs> You walk in a place, the devil scream. You want to you want to walk in a place like Peter, man, the shadow of Peter. People run over there. They just they just said, I just want to get these sick people in the influence of that man. He don't even have to touch him. Just let me get in the shadow, the influence of that man. And they placed people in the in the shadow of Peter, and they were healed by the power of his influence. <clears throat> Boy, when we get to that place, when you walk in a place. God walks in. And they know God walks in. And that's the way you are. The way you are. I want that. I want that. I want more and more of that. I want it. Don't you? <coughs> but we have to play. We have to, to walk in the place where it's the sanctuary. And it's not the outer court thing that, that goes on. You know? It's, it's where we've dealt with sin. So that now we come into the holy things of God. And God's presence can be manifest. His glory can be seen. People can be set free. So that even the people who aren't in the church can say, look what the Lord has done. That was God. That, oh, that wasn't a man. That was the Lord God. He's alive. That wasn't a man. That was God. Amen. I love you. Praise God. Bow your heads, would you? Amen. Lord, we're standing on holy ground. Yes, Lord. 
holy ground. Holy ground is not a physical church building. Holy ground is where you are. In the street, in the workplace. Thank you for a church that prays. For a church that fasts. For a church that intercedes. For men and women of God. Having the seal of God in their forehead. So that even the devil recognizes they belong to God. The seal of God in their forehead. The nature of God in their forehead. Marked by God. Known by God. In the name of Jesus. Man, the Lord just keeps talking. I'm reading another scripture to you. Psalm 22. I believe it is. God's good. Okay, Psalm 24. The, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded upon the seas and established it. There's that word established again. Established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his sanctuary, his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, he who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, empty things, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. But that is who ascends and moves in the sanctuary or the holy place of God. And I know that you want to be, and I also do, in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord God, I praise you for this people. <coughs> I give you glory and honor and praise right now. Anoint them. Anoint every one of us with fresh power, fresh anointing, authority from on high. You set a seal upon their foreheads, God, in the name of Jesus, so that the devil even knows them. You protect them. You separate them. They will stand for you. Send us forth into the field, we pray. In Jesus' name. Clean hands, pure hearts, pure heart. Not lift up their soul into vanity. In Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. 415 is the new believers class. 530 is prayer for everybody. Six o'clock service. We're going to take the Lord's Supper tonight.
So please come. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. Lord bless you.